We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by New Power Party, Taipei City Council candidate, Xiao Xin Shen. Hey, Gavin, how's it going? And David Green from the Newslands. Good evening, Gavin. Tonight we'll be discussing another former head of state being sentenced to prison, government plans to hike wages, the latest in the seemingly never-ending saga of NTU President-elect Guangzhou Min, a special telecom service plan that went a wee bit awry, and because it's soon the World Cup, we'll also talk local soccer. But we'll begin with the DPP finally making, well, part of a decision regarding its plans for the November Taipei mayoral election. And now, as the party has decided to feel its own candidate and will not be supporting incumbent Mayor Kerwin Jer's bid for re-election. The party's election strategy committee is now in talks with potential candidates. And while former Vice President Annette Liu and lawmaker Pursuya Yao have announced their intentions to seek the party's nomination, the committee says it's also well, it's also going to look for other possible candidates. And these other possible candidates, reportedly, depending on what media you read, include heavy hitters, Presidential Office Secretary General and former Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Zhu, or current Premier and former Tainan Mayor William Lai. Now, the DPP says it expects to finalise its nominee for the Taipei mayoral race by the end of this month, based on the results of a comprehensive evaluation and opinion polls will only be used for reference purposes. So there you go. Xiao, your opposition seems to be in disarray in Taipei. Yes, they are. Um, this is quite unprecedented situation where, you know, the, the pen green and the pen blue camps are challenging an incumbent uh, mayor with uh, no party affiliation. So before on this show, I heard the Katagala media's uh, Ye Jentin characterize DPP as being stuck uh, between a rock and a hot place. And I feel it's quite accurate. And now the DPP seems to uh, decide to take on the rock head on and fight it in order to find a way out. And since I'm a city um, council candidate in Taipei, in my district, I've heard my constituents, you know, complaints a lot about, you know, from the, the current mayor um, who is on the uh, deep green side. And some of them even told me that they would rather support um, the KMT candidate, Din Shou Zhong, rather than vote for Ke. So um, this is pretty interesting. So... I'm wondering how this might pan out. Well, that's a, everybody's waiting for it to pan out, David. I mean, do you think this delay is, a, is could affect seriously affect the DPP's chances? It's it's hard to say whether the delay would affect their chances. I do agree that they've waited far too long to make this decision. Um, given uh, Merkel's track record and, and some of the things that he's said, particularly vis-à-vis uh, -vis Taiwan's relationship with China. Uh, in 2015 at the Taipei Shanghai Forum, referring to uh, Taiwan and China as, as one family and quarreling lovers. He attracted a lot of uh, flack for that, um, particularly amongst uh, the DPP uh, faithful, both the supporters and within the party. Uh, and But it's taken them quite a long time to decide that they want to distance themselves from him. Um, in doing that, they get to consolidate their own base. And as we've seen in the past couple of weeks, given the fact that they haven't even chosen a candidate yet, they can open up on multiple platforms to attack him. Um, and some of the front runners have already done that. Uh, last week, Annette Liu was uh, 
criticizing Mayer on his record on the 2017 university ad. I'm not quite sure as to the wisdom of that strategy, given that most people think that it was successful, but she was saying there was some kind of collusion with China. They didn't send their best athletes, and therefore Taiwan uh, actually performed a lot better uh, than it would have done if China did send its best athletes. Meanwhile, uh, uh, Yao Wen, Wenji is coming out and attacking him on his uh, comments on Taiwan values and also his relationship with China. And I think from the DPP's point of view, this this does two things. One, it enables them to, to undermine him for the mayoral race, but it also enables them to take him down a peg or two ahead of the presidential race in 2020. Uh, he hasn't said that he's not going to run for that, and, and there is uh, rumors swirling around that he will stand in the presidential election. So, again, that comes back to, given all of those factors, why has it taken them so long to make this decision? And, and as you said, Gavin, we still don't know who is going to be the, the candidate. I mean, Xiao, do you think that attacking Ke Wenzhe is the right policy for the DPP? After all, it looks like Ke and the KMT candidate, Ding Zhong are quite close in the polls. That's right. Um, I've heard that there are numerous factions within the DPP who are either in favour of Ke Wenzhe or who are opposing to him, um, depending on which presidential race they are looking at. For example, if the faction is looking at the 2020 presidential election as opposed to the 2024 election, and it depends on how soon they want to face Kerwinger uh, potentially as a presidential candidate, um, they want to either side with him or they want to oppose him. So there's, there's just a lot going on within the DPP. And um, from outside, we just don't have a clue what's, um, what's going on. But, disarray. Disarray, exactly. Which is a surprise. But um, but the revolt on the DPP base, the base is really forcing the party to engage in a gamble, right? Because there are two possible outcomes that probably disastrous for DPP. Number one, if the DPP and Kerr splits the same voter base, and then uh, and Din Zhong wins the election, or DPP winds up in the third place, neither of which um, is going to establish DPP as a viable party in this country's capital. And of course, there's been talk of Chen Zhuo, William Lai possibly running. I mean. If it's split three ways and either Chen Zhu or William Lai run and they lose, what a complete embarrassment that'll be. Well, yes. Uh, and because of that, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say what the calculus is within the DPP. Um, they've obviously decided that the split vote issue is, is not going to affect them. Whether they're so confident of that that they will run a front-running candidate like Premier Lai at the risk of losing, I, I'm not so sure. Um, and obviously, we don't know. Um, the idea of the split, the split vote, um, Ding has, has run, I think he's lost the mayoral candidacy or the, the election four times already. Mm -hmm. So he's not exactly the strongest candidate from the KMT. I think that's the gamble that they're taking, that whatever happens, uh, they won't lose to a, a KMT candidate and split the vote. Uh, so by running a candidate, they get to distance themselves from Merkur, and they don't run too serious a risk uh, yet. We're still obviously not in November when the polling will happen of actually losing Taipei to a KMT candidate, which would be an outright unmitigated disaster. I agree. Right. Now we'll get all that excitement to one side and head towards the second anniversary of President Tsai Ing-wen's taking office, which of course means a lot of polls. Now a survey by the DPP shows Tsai Ing-wen enjoying a support rating of 54.9% among voters, but apparently according to the DPP only 41.7% of respondents said they were satisfied with her performance. Now a poll by the Apple Daily this week showed Tsai had a 34% satisfaction rating. 
A United Daily News survey found that she had a 29% support rating amongst respondents to the UDN poll. And that was it. They were sat 29% were satisfied with her. The latest TVBS poll found that Sire's satisfaction rating was only 26%. And wait for it, because here we go. A poll by the KMT showed that Sire's support rating had dropped to 20.3%. So, Shao, should we really believe these numbers, or we should pick something sort of in the middle? I would say a wise thing to do is to pick something in the middle. Because um, from my point of view... Um, I would say the president has done some um, tremendous job in some of the most polarizing and um, intricate issues that's facing this country. For example, um, to name some of these accomplishments, the passage of laws that leads to the uh, Ear Garden Party Essay Committee and the Transitional Justice Promotional Committee were definitely two of the highlights of a presidency. And also the slow but steady march to a public sector pension reform is also uh, one of the highlights, I would say. Right, the DPP, of course, David Turner said, well, the percentage of actual satisfaction was because of the reforms, and everybody has different opinions about reform. Uh, they do, but in the DPP poll, uh, they said that 7 out of 10 people voted for her or would support her to continue the reform. And, and as you said, it's, it's the nature of the question. Are you satisfied with her? I would say roughly about a third consistently, and this, is, this goes back to the end of last year as well. Um, and the year before that, towards the end of 16, have said that they're satisfied with her. And she is on a slight slide uh, since then in terms of that satisfaction rating. The other question is, do you support her? And more than half of people in the DPP poll said that they would support her. And it's a bipartisan poll, even though it's hosted by the DPP and et cetera, et cetera. You can decide how unbiased it is. But the question is not, would you vote for her uh, in an election against another candidate? And so, um, as we've said, you have to take these with a, with a pinch of salt. And she has had an a massively difficult first two years. Um, it's unclear from these polls how much uh, issues like the intensified uh, military drills by China around Taiwan has affected her polling and also the defection to Beijing of the Dominican Republic, loss of another uh, diplomatic ally, how much that has affected her. Um, but you, you would like to think, if you're the DPP, that you've got through uh, some very difficult issues that, that you table as part of your campaign. There are some still outstanding that, that you would like to see tackled in the second half of the year. Indigenous uh, land rights is one of them that we haven't touched on. There's plenty of hard stuff still to get through. Um, but you would like to think that the DPP will be able to set Sai up to, to in a better light in the second half of her of her presidency. And she has actually started to, to come out with a more public face already as we head into the November elections. And things are really spicing up uh, in, in that respect. She, she's been on the radio giving interviews and on the uh, anniversary, second anniversary of her inauguration, she will go online with a Q&A session uh, with the public, a live stream, which is the first time that she's done that. So we're going to start to see a more public face and, and how that affects polling, we have to wait and see. Because that's when one of the issues about signing when, of course, people have criticised her for being, ra being rather aloof, that's sitting right. in the presidential building and no one ever sees her. That's right. Um, yeah, from the New Power Party's standpoint, we feel that the president still have much room to improve. And some issues such as uh, the labor law and maybe the marriage equality, she has yet to show a uh, commitment to fulfill her, her campaign promises. So, for example, on the labor law amendments, the government has been so sharply to the right um, to side with business owners and then uh, leave millions of laborers to fend for themselves. Um, so because the, the president 
during her campaign, has proposed the six protections of labor. Um, number one, uh, to reduce working hours, to increase wage, uh, to encourage assembly of labor unions, etc. So the new power party recognizes the need for flexible labor regulations, but at the same time, we are in favor of strong protection for, the, for some of the most vulnerable laborers. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The Labour uh, Standards Act amendments uh, were a very difficult period and they're not going anywhere. I was at the protest uh, not so long ago um, calling for all of those things that you've mentioned because the Labour does not feel that they've been delivered on. And so this mm -hmm. issue is going to run and run through till the next presidential election. It will not go away. When we have more polls, whoopee-doo. Anyway, moving on to a completely different subject, and that being the Taiwan High Court, finding former President Ma Ying-jeou guilty of leaking classified information and sentencing him to four months in prison this week, making him yet another of Taiwan's former leaders who have heard the gavel come down. Now, the ruling overturned a not-guilty verdict handed down by the Taipei District Court in August of last year in a case which involved the leaking of classified information related to a 2013 investigation into DPP lawmaker Ke Jingming, who was being investigated at the time for breach of trust. Now, prosecutors argued that Ma leaked the contents of wiretapped conversations between Kerr and then legislative speaker Wang Jingping. Ma, of course, was president at the time, and because of that, he was immune from prosecution. But he was summoned as a potential defendant in the case in December of 2016 after leaving office. Now, of course, it was only four months, and that sentence can be commuted to a fine, and the ruling can be appealed. And, of course, needless to say, as soon as the judge's gavel came down, the former president's office said we will be appealing the verdict however the former legislative speaker simply said that he respects the judicial process while the dpp lawmaker ke jengming at the center of the original investigation well he came out and said the sentence was too lenient uh well the sentence is uh three months in in prison or can be commuted by paying a, a fine of four thousand us dollars i think and as you said he will appeal at the supreme court um which is probably, I think, and I hesitate to comment on this because it's very complicated and it's a legal matter, but that is where it should be decided because his defense rests on whether or not he had authorization to uh, use what he called special presidential powers, which I think uh, are come under the, the, con the Constitution, Article 44, I think, of the Constitution, which allows the president to mediate or, or to intercede. Uh, in conflicts of different branches of government. Um, he said that he thought he was allowed to do that, and the High Court has said that he wasn't. Um, so it's not for me to say whether that's true or not. What, what I can say is that this, this looks extremely bad, uh, both for um, confidence in Taiwan's politicians and its government and also in the judicial system, because at the heart of this uh, is a taped conversation that shows a politician leaning on prosecutors in order to influence a judicial decision. And the complaints about this case rest on exactly the same thing, that the High Court has been influenced by the DPP uh, government in order to come down hard on Ma, especially as, and again, we come back to the presidential elections, there have been rumours that maybe he'll stand in, in 2020 for the KMT, which he is allowed to do under the Constitution because he's skipped a term. He's had two terms, and but he can have a third because he's skipped a term. So it's very difficult difficult to know which side to come down on in terms of supporting this verdict or not but it does and will not play well with the public and that, i think for me is the major the major issue yeah I'm, I'm just glad that the court has made a clear statement that leaking seal information under active investigation is a criminal defense because in taiwan it's been happened time and again that politicians just 
you know, leak information to make a, a political gain. Um, so I want to make sure I want to see that this trend um, is that you know is is being you know stopped by uh, by by this judicial decision. But I mean, if you had to predict, do you think the the, the higher court will agree with this court's decision or the district court's decision? Of course, which found him not guilty. Well, it's um, it's pretty hard to predict, isn't it? <laughs> I'm probably not gonna make a prediction here, but um, but I, I'm pretty interested to see. Right, I mean, of course, if it, if the court does find him guilty again, like David said, it's gonna look pretty bad on Taiwan politics. Well, at the same time, um, it might be that um, restoring some faith to the justice system, or should we not? But because you know, um, the the. People may say that you know the former presidents, or maybe the KMT former presidents, will never be found guilty of any charges because you know the judicial system are stuffed with, you know, um, pen blue prosecutors. So um, if if you know decision might come down that you know find the pre- former president guilty, that might you know break some rumors of that. Um, I'm I'm not sure about that. I, w- I will I will say that at the moment there is a. Uh, Trials are going on across Taiwan of a uh, citizen judge system, uh, and this involves three professional judges and six lay judges. Um, and this is after an enormous amount of um, torture discussion about how to reform uh, the legal system and also the way that trials are conducted in in Taiwan. And there has been an immense amount of research that has gone into this. And finally, because they were unable to decide whether they wanted to have uh, a kind of pure lay system or a jury system like in the US or adopt a model that's more like in Japan and, and Korea. Uh, they've come to this sort of halfway house decision that they are testing at the moment. And the idea is that if you involve the public, citizen judges, in the legal process and they get to understand from the perspective of a judge how things work and they get to rule on cases and the judge must share the information with them, the evidence with them, then uh, this will restore some public faith in in the justice system. And I think this is really, really important for for Taiwan. There's an enormous number of issues that need to be fleshed out and processed in order for this system to work. But the judiciary is is very serious about this. Uh, And I think that that would mark a step forward for for public confidence in in the judicial system. And may I just add that uh, the judicial, uh, the citizen judges, you know, the system is one of the central pillars of the judicial reform that's been proposed by the uh, MPP um, in, in this, you know, yeah. Right, and before one of us puts our foot in it, we'll move on now. And the government this week laid out more plans to hike public sector wages and once again called for across-the-board increases to the minimum wage in the private sector. Now, the measures include raising the minimum pay for government employees to 30,000 NT per month, raising the minimum hourly rate from 140 to 150 NT, and also encouraging the private sector to follow suit. But, of course, needless to say, five minutes after the government had said that... Uh, the leaders of two of the island's major business associations voiced their unhappiness about it, with the General Chamber of Commerce Chairman Lai Jung E saying that he believes wages will rise naturally if the government focuses more on economic stimulus plans and tries harder to devise good economic policies, while the head of the Chinese National Association of Industry and Commerce, Lin Bofeng, said that the government should make improving the investment environment its top priority and allow enterprises to run their own companies freely, saying the government interferes, it will only intensify conflict between management and labour. So, Xiao, raising wages. Yeah, um, 
A good idea. Everybody supports raising wages, of course,、um, but the government has reported a,、uh, a average wage number of almost sixty thousand Taiwan dollars, and that's immediately drew criticism because it just doesn't reflect, you know, the the situation on the ground that the average worker doesn't feel that like getting that much.、Um, so on top of that, you know, the the government has you know took away a lot of、um, labor protections in the last amendments, the amendments to the labor law.、Um, so we're just feeling that you know if you want a healthy Wage number, the way to go about is probably to establish a healthy labor environment. So some ideas may be to you know encourage assembly of labor unions and let collective bargaining make sure that laborers get fair wage. But do you think the, gov- the central government should be interfering with the private sector, or the private sector should be left private to just do what it does? Well. It's probably not interference, but we want to make sure that laborers are protected, so they they are not overworked to death, and then they if they overwork, they receive fair overwork pay. So that's gonna you know f- figure into the, the the wage numbers when、uh, when you when you do the polls. Yeah,、um, this is this is a fairly predictable.、Uh, Conflict of interest between big business and 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 labour and the government is trying to strike、uh, a middle ground that will appease、uh, some of the the labour movement's demands.、Uh, I think the thirty thousand NT minimum wage for some public sector workers、uh, is an interesting number because Tsai Ing-wen said in in January,、um, I, I think very ill advisedly, she said that it would be a dream if the government could establish、uh, a national minimum wage of thirty thousand NT. Per month,、uh, and then she came back and said, "Well, actually, we can't do that." So it was, yeah. Make of that what you will. <laughs> so with this, they get to say, "Well, actually, we are doing that、um, for some government workers."、Um, and I have to say that I don't actually see how they're going to do that. There are no、um, implementation steps for this, and they say they are going to do it in phases. The ten、uh, kwai an hour、uh, hourly minimum wage rate. Rise、um, from 140 to 150 comes into effect in in January 2019. Is that even going to affect real incomes? I, I'm not really sure.、Um, and when they said they were going to encourage the private sector to to raise wages, obviously the government doesn't really have any mechanism to do that. The mechanism that they've suggested is that when the government is、uh, offering bids or, or tenders, that private sector companies that can demonstrate they are paying higher wages will have some kind of benefit in the tender process.、Mm-hmm. Um, Whether or not that's really going to work, I, I'm, I'm not sure. But that's the mechanism that, that they're suggesting. But、uh, overall, I think this is、uh, a very tentative and、uh, move on the government's part. They needed to be seen to be doing something,、uh, and this is what they've come up with. Yeah, the vice premier Xu Junji said this week that some 34% of the island's workforce earned less than 30,000 NT per month last year, and the majority of them were young people aged between 15 and 29. So there's your voter base, basically. If, yes. Obviously, not the 15-year. Olds, but you know,、yeah. that's most of your voter base. Exactly, they are. That's why、um, the, the, the labor rights and the, the you know labor issues are one of the core values that we champion.、Um, because our、uh, voter base, they face you know harsh work environments where they just、uh, overwork and then just constantly, you know, not seeing their overpay, overtime pay.、Um, so this is a real you know problem occurring. So this is something that we, we're hearing you know from our constituents that we want to address. Right, and we have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these important commercials.
Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. In the saga of National Taiwan University, President-elect Guangzhou Ming continued this week, only it was stepped up a notch after President Tsai Ing-wen asked Guan to clarify the issues that have cast doubt on the legitimacy of his selection, instead of politicising the case. Now, Tsai was quizzed about the dispute during an interview with well-known radio talk show host Clara Zhou, and her comments came after Guan called on the President to respect his selection as NTU head and said that he hopes she can help end the controversy surrounding his election. Well, to that, Tsai simply said that Guan's comments appear to be a request that she intervene in the case, making it political. Now, the president went on to say that Guan's problems were legal issues rather than political ones, and she added that Guan himself has made no effort to clear up any of the controversies surrounding his being elected to head the university. So, David, will this ever go away? <laughs> um, I, I've been thinking about how this gets resolved, and, and I I'm not really sure. I, I think possibly Guan needs to take more of a, a strong lead himself. Um, this saga has been going on since February uh, when he was initially uh, elected um, and the Ministry of Education then came out and said there are too many, there are some irregularities with the election process, uh, namely that uh, there was a conflict of interest because somebody on, on the board, uh, he, he was on the board, I think, of Taipei Mobile, as was somebody on the election committee board. Uh, so conflict of interest there. He's also been accused of plagiarism and not um, revealing the fact that he worked in, in mainland China uh, as well. So when Tsai Ing-wen says that he hasn't, he hasn't done much to resolve those issues, that they're the things that she's talking about. Uh, the Ministry of Education then said, oh, OK, uh, we're not going to accept your election, uh, which has caused a massive backlash at NTU itself and amongst academia because um, this looks a lot like the government or politicians interfering um, in the academic selection process. So you can understand why students at NTU are, are very angry and, and I think the majority of them are, are supporting him. Um, this that actually led to the Ministry of Education resigning over this issue, and and now we're we're here with NTU having gone through another process quite recently of reinstating their original decision, which is why it's been escalated to questions to Tsai Ing-wen as, as to what are you going to do about this, and she uh, quite sensibly I think has backed away from it and said this is a legal issue, and we also had the cabinet uh, come out and say that this is a legal issue. The Ministry of Education has every right to refuse to accept the nomination of a candidate for or the selection of a candidate as, in a public university. And so we're not accepting this, which puts the ball back in uh, Guan's court. Um, as to where we go from here, I, I'm not sure. But I would say his predecessor resigned over um, issues of, and accusations of plagiarism, even though they were eventually shown not to involve him. Uh, and, and so you, you are asking yourself, what benefit is there, to certainly to the reputation of NTU and the students who are continuing to go to university without a president, of this situation dragging on any further? But of course, you mentioned the Ministry of Ed the Cabinet spokesman, in fact, Shu Guo Yong, came out this past weekend and said what you just said, David, about the Education Ministry has the power of appointment and the power of rejection. But of course, that was contradicted by one former vice president by the name of Annette Liu and also a former premier by the name of Simon Jung, who argued that the Ministry of Education only has the right to confirm the appointment of the president of a public university, not to reject it. So where do we go from here, Xiao? Um, it's really hard to say, but um, regardless who is to plan in this issue, I mean, the Quan controversy is really 
become you know a a, a ready point for um for for both camps of the uh, upcoming election. For example, in my uh, district, my KMT opponent in Nehu even put up a billboard sign calling for the Minister of Education Umao Kun to resign. So um, this is just becoming a very uh, governizing issue that's going to turn out votes um, for the KMT camp. I suppose. I mean, do you think they could possibly the government should have said, okay, you take the job, you do the job, and as soon as he made maybe what they considered to be one wee error, they could have said, sorry, you're fired. I don't think that's going to happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if uh, if university autonomy is to be respected, I don't think, yeah, the the, the government should tell, you know, a pre- NTU president to, to, to resign. Which is why it is incumbent upon him to, to make a decision here, I think. that That's uh, my understanding of, of this situation. And as you said, it's right, the longer it drags on, the more the more politicised it's becoming, which is, is makes it more of a hot point issue. Uh, and so you have to ask, well, what are the motivations for, for doing this? Uh, and as you said, this, this drags the, the DPP government into, into disrepute and his, the allegations against him are suggesting that he is uh, favours the KMT and therefore was doing this in order to curry favour with them. So, yeah, again, who knows where we go from here? It's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. I'm not sure I see the government backing down on this. Because what's interesting is this is the National Taiwan University. Now, Guan, of course, is facing charges that he's too close to China. And, of course, students or alleged students have protested there. There's been some question over whether they were actually students or not, of course. But, of course, when China last stepped foot in the National Taiwan University at a concert recent or last year, a couple of years ago anyway, the students rallied to get rid of the concert because it was from China. Yes, uh, that's true. Uh, and so, again, you have to ask questions about how much influence there is of uh, with Chinese propaganda within uh, particularly ma- major university campuses in, in Taiwan. Uh, I think I saw a picture uh, of some protesters sitting underneath a bell on the NTV, NTU mm-hmm. campus, which is allegedly supposed to the be... The famous bell. Is famous bell, yes. Uh, but supposed to be bad luck, uh, and that anybody who was actually part of NTU would never do that. And the question being, well, who are these people then? Where did they come from? Um, and I'll leave that question up to up to inference. Yeah, it's a interesting footnote you know, to this saga that the university autonomy in this term was uh, originally, you know, the slogan was used in the KMT martial law era for the university to fight for rooms, develop a more democratic space within their campuses. Now our university autonomy is, you know, the weapon that the, the, the pink blue camp uses to try to insist on installing Khan as president. So it's just interesting to see how uh, Taiwan has traveled on the road to our democratization. Sounds like it's going in a circle. Exactly. To me, anyway. Anyway, anyway, talk about circles. We'll move on to lines. Big lines. Huge lines. Because a Mother's Day special low-cost service plan by Zhonghua Telecom, well, that's been causing sorts of problems for customers over the past week. And would-be customers, employees, and everybody else has just been so angered by it. It's been all over the television because of a deal Zhonghua Dianxin had to say, we're going to have a special service package for Mother's Day, and it'll cost you $499 
TNT for all you can eat. That's what it's called. All you can eat. Telecommunications bill. Now, the lines and the aggro and the violence, well, not violence, but there was some heated discussion outside Zhonghua Telecom branches due to people queuing up for many hours. Now, the National Communications Commission said it was being inundated with consumer complaints since Zhonghua Telecom announced its week-long special last Wednesday. Now, the Communications and Information Industry watchdog is not too happy about this and says it will announce its decision next week on how Zhonghua Telecom will be penalised. Now, although both Taiwan Mobile and Far East Tone began offering their own 499 NT plans in response to Zhonghua Telecom, the NCC says most of the complaints were in fact directed at Zhonghua Telecom. Consumers have complained about having to wait in long lines, sometimes for several hours, and also about the telecom company's failure to include existing subscribers in the deal. Interestingly enough, Zhonghua Telecom says that 1.44 million people actually moved to the 499 NT dollar plan during the week-long deal. But was it worth it, David? I mean, did you queue up? Uh, no. Uh, I walked around a lot of queues. Um, and I'm not really sure what to make of all of this, really. Um, I had a look at uh, Zhonghua Telecom's annual report just to see what might have motivated them to do this. Uh, and it's obvious that in for mobile subscribers anyway, the, there is a lot intense price competition going on in the industry. And in this, by this move, they get to undercut their competitors and grab market share, which is exactly what they've done. They're already the biggest uh, single provider, I think we're over a third of subscribers uh, in Taiwan. Um, but if you look at their revenue for mobile, it's been it's been falling. This is a 200 billion NT uh, industry, uh, 200 billion NT dollar industry. Um, and so for me, it's 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 a cutthroat um, corporate move to grab market share, uh, and they've caused a bit of disruption. But what can the government really do about it? Um, I think they've already been fined uh, for forcing their workers to to work overtime in in, in Taipei and Kaohsiung. They've been fined for that one. But right. local governments have fined them. Um, how much was it? A million. It was it was peanuts. Right, <laughs> it's peanuts. And and if the um, if if the other commission comes out and finds them guilty of shady business practices or suspicious business practices, as I think it is, and, and causing disruption to the public, the fine is equally going to be peanuts. So, mm-hmm. was it worth it for them? I think probably the answer is yes. Yeah, the way I look at it, it's um, it's interesting why Chonghua Telecom, you know, needs to have those long lines queuing up outside their retail stores because um, because I'm an entrepreneur and whenever you know when I run a startup and trying to push out a campaign, I will make sure that you know I have a technology component that make sure my users have a, a pleasant user experience. So if I were running Chonghua Telecom, I would make sure I have say for example a mobile app that would make they let people wait in a virtual line than uh, than a real one. So you know to me you know uh, 1.5 million people waiting online for hours on end it just make me cringe cringe and think about all the productivity lost. There were, in fact, virtual lines of assault in Taichung, where one branch of Zhonghua Telecom, people didn't bother to go down there. They went down there, they put their crash helmets, they put their (laughs) flasks, they put a bag, and they all walked away. And there was this one branch that just had these huge articles, objects, lined up. Okay, old technology works. But Yeah, there you go. So it certainly does. Old (laughs) technology certainly does work there. And like you said, David, I mean, the telecommunications companies are all losing money. Yeah, it, well, certainly on mobile services they are, um, and they haven't yet 
figured out how to transition to things like IoT to, to make that their, their major breadwinner or a breadwinner that can really um, supplement their, their income. Um, so yeah, this, this essentially just reflects how much pressure the industry is under. And is, uh, it's essentially good for consumers. Or okay, not if you're a consumer who's been standing in line for three hours. But that's your decision you don't have to stand there uh, and just on the the virtual article the actual article line uh, that is that's something that i think can only happen in taiwan well my question is though when all these people actually signed up and they've got their 400 nt 99 nt dollar plan of course when their bills do come they're going to be slightly bigger than that so i think there might be problems there uh there sorry can you clarify what you mean by that well, they, they pay for i pay a flat rate right yeah but when i get my bill it's always slightly larger than the flat rate that i'm supposed to pay yes i yeah i can see that they might be getting a few extra follow-up calls and, and complaints on the back of this uh so i mean yeah the upshot is that uh a cutthroat market move that was handled extremely badly and the complaints aren't likely to go away all no, these and you, you could, you could. I've said that. Was it worth it? Yes, and, that, and, they, and there is going to be some some brand damage and brand that's, brand that's image right. damage to them, whether or, or not that how that plays out in the long run. You know, it's, I'm not sure. That's right. Um, yeah, I totally agree. So, uh, but I didn't sign up because I. I you were too my, busy. Yeah, I was too you busy. You couldn't queue. Oh, you exactly. could. You could have used it as an excuse to. Yeah, but but get people to vote for you. Uh, you could have joined the queue. I, I might add that because for uh, candidates like myself, we're really are happy to see long lines outside the stores because we can, you know, just shake their hands and then uh, make sure they know about what we're doing. Give them some leaflets. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That was a good thing anyway for some people. And before we go today, we're going to talk local soccer or football, depending on where you come from on this planet, which, of course, has been in the news in the recent weeks here in Taiwan. And I spoke with sports commentator Mark Buckton about the beautiful game here on the island. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, Gavin. So the World Cup in Russia is one month away, and while Taiwan's national team is a very long way from being able to qualify for the four-yearly soccer extravaganza, Chinese Taipei, as the squad is known internationally, is now sitting in 121st place in the latest FIFA rankings. And that's the best it's ever been, and it's led the sports administration to draft a program to make Taiwan one of the world's top 100 national soccer teams within six years. So Mark, Mark, rather a lofty goal, one could say. It is, it is. I think it's um, a little bit too lofty as well. And most of it is based on the presence of the new manager, not new manager, he's been here since September of 2017, um, Gary White, the English guy who's now in charge of the national team. He has been very successful in the past, but he's always been at lower level national teams. He was in the British Virgin Islands about 20 years ago. Um, then he went to the Bahamas. He moved on to Guam, and he was in Guam from 2012 to 2016. But the thing that Gary has always left behind him, sort of in his wake, um, which I think it might affect Taiwan or Chinese Taipei, as they're called, in a very negative way, in the Bahamas, after they peaked, he took, he took all these three nations, the British Virgin Islands, Bahamas, Guam, he took them to their highest level ever in the FIFA rankings. But to the best of my knowledge, with the Bahamas and with Guam, as soon as they peaked, they never won again under him. And I don't know why that was exactly, but whether he lost interest in the team, there have been allegations that he invested too much in the travel and he got the teams playing too much. Now, whether he did get the teams playing too much or not is one thing. Here in Taiwan, since Gary arrived in September of last year, 
they have had six games. Now, of those six games, they've won, I think, four. Uh, sorry, they've won five, actually. But four of those have essentially been friendlies against very weak national teams from elsewhere, including Laos, the Philippines, uh, East Timor. And they did win one, which was the, the high-profile game against Bahrain. And that was, that's the only standout. But Gary's got the tendency to, to have his teams play a lot, and, which is a good thing, and they, they bond together, they, they work together as a team. But then, after they've played a lot together, they'll enter what I would say are relatively minor, unimportant tournaments. And just, uh, I think in 10 days' time, uh, maybe two weeks from now, Taiwan will be entering a tournament in India. And in that tournament in India, which I think is a key part of this, this Taiwanese ambition to, to, to break the top 100 from their present position of 121st, it's called the Hero Cup. The other teams in the tournament are Kenya, who have not won a game for a year, uh, New Zealand, who have not won for a couple of years against any serious opposition, and in saying that, I apologise to the Solomon Islands and Fiji, and India, the hosts. Now, India are in 97th position at the moment, but they are they're not doing well. They are a bit of a regional powerhouse around Southeast Asia, but they're not a team that's really performing well. So I think this was a cherry-picked tournament to, to boost that, that ranking from 121st as it stands today up towards the 100 mark, possibly even breaking into the top 100 if Taiwan win that tournament, which is a possibility. And that kicks off, I think, on June the 2nd. Um, so we'll be, we'll be able to watch that from here in Taiwan. Right, and of course, the, of course, the government with this plan to build up the soccer here is also coming out with like, plans to build more stadiums, plans for more teams and plans for a professional league. Well, they have, they have, for the past couple of years, had um, what they're calling the Taiwan Premier League. And I would use the word Premier very loosely. There are several teams in it. Most are very, very weak. Um, one is made up of expats who, who are working most of the week, called the Royal Blues. There, is, there are two teams, Thai Power, sponsored by, of course, the local utility, Thai Power, and uh, Tatung, or Datong, as they're sometimes known, uh, uh, from the university. And they have some decent players who are the mainstay of the national team. But there is no need at all for Taiwan to build any more stadiums. There are more than enough stadiums capable of holding the games here in Taiwan. And the stadiums they have are always empty when these Premier League games are played anyway. There was a game last week with the Royal Blues down in Kaohsiung last Saturday. They beat a team titled the Army Team. And... You know, you, you could count the fans there on one hand. It really is not a realistic ambition to think that there's any need for stadiums. It would be a waste of public money when they still need to put more investment into the sport at the grassroots level. I mean, how could they do that, isn't the grassroots level? Well, well actually, that's, the word grass is a big problem. You know, being in Taiwan, being so hot and, and humid, in the summertime there are no decent... Not no. There's there's very very few decent real grass pitches out there in Taiwan, just for the kids to play on. There are a few riverside fields, but with the, with the with the typhoons and with the humidity, the the fields go from being overgrown to to sodden messes. And there's a lot of all weather pitches now, and the majority of games are played on all weather pitches by the Premier League. That itself is a bit of a problem because. It reduces defensive capabilities where people could, you know, go in for sliding tackles 
and some players are a little bit afraid to go down. So that affects the state of play and the level of play. But the Premier League here is still two, three, four decades from becoming even a non-league level in a country like England or Germany. That was me in conversation with sports commentator Mark Buckton. And that's all we'll leave it here this week, here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Xiao Xin Shen. Good day. And David Green. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And if you like this show, you may want to also check out Taiwan Talk, which along with Taiwan This Week is also available on iTunes and Android podcasts apps. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.